Hey, it's Kristen. You're listening to Rational in Portland. Welcome to Rational in Portland. We have a guest today who you're going to recognize her name because a lot of you voted for her. I voted for her. And she's here to talk to us about a lot of stuff that's going on that you're going to see on the May ballot, especially this capital gains tax measure that a lot of people are wondering about and sending me emails about. Um, please go ahead and introduce yourself and, and tell us why you're here. Great. Uh, thanks, Kristen. Hi, everyone. I am Alyssa Pishka. I am president of Bridge Economic Development, and as Kristen mentioned last year, I ran against uh, Lynn Peterson for Metro President. And boy, are we sorry you didn't win that. Uh, well, thanks. It was a. It was, I feel good. And many of you out there, thank you. It was a very positive experience. I will say, um, shout out to Portland Party and many supporters. Um, it was a great experience. And I was also involved on um, the opposition campaign fighting against charter uh, reform. Uh, but here, wanted to talk about, really kind of open up with an overview of economic development. That's my specialty. That's why I ran for Metro. And, you know, talking to Kristen before this, I find many of my clients are cities and regions. And the fundamental foundational discussion of economic development is not well understood. So I'm also a professor at PSU. I teach graduate students. So I might go into professor mode here. But I think it's really important to understand these fundamentals before we go into just in, to talk about these taxes. So it's not just ranting and raving about taxes, which is really boring and frustrating. Please, because I'd like to understand this myself. Okay. So the fundamentals, so when we talk about economic development, there's really two key terms that we need to understand. It's first traded sector businesses and local sector businesses. So traded sector businesses is what we usually focus on in economic development. So what they do is they are usually creating something, a good a service that's sold outside the region. And so new money is coming into the region, and that money is going to those employees that work for the businesses. So think maybe it's a lumber mill. Uh, it's a software company. It's Dave's Killer Bread. It's Intel. Those are traded sector companies, and those employees make wages. Typically, we like traded sector businesses because they also get health benefits, 401ks, et cetera. They're solid, but they're solid jobs with a career ladder typically associated with it. Those people, you need them so that they can go support your local businesses. Your local businesses you see in every community. It's your bank. It's your dentist. It's your coffee shop. It's your bar. The local businesses make your, un your community unique. They're also a great opportunity. Maybe you didn't get a four-year degree, right? Maybe English isn't your second language. You can start a business in a local sector business. You can start a hair salon. You can start landscaping companies. You can start a restaurant. So from an equity standpoint, we also like local sector businesses because it's a great opportunity to build wealth, but it makes your community unique. But what's really critical, those local sector businesses need customers. 
That is what they need to survive. And your customers are coming from those traded sector businesses. So this is a very integrated ecosystem. You can't have one without the other. I guess if you want to look at it simplistically, I was thinking through a scenario. If you were to think about in the mid-1800s, right, you had gold miners going up to the river streams panning for gold. That's a traded sector company. They're extracting a resource, making money. They can make money all day. It's not very fun. They don't have a great quality of life. But luckily, along comes maybe a saloon, right? Some enterprising guy, typically a guy in the 1800s, opens a saloon. So that miner starts paying the saloon with his money. But think about the reverse. There's no way that saloon could just go set up shop by a river. They, they wouldn't make any money. They'd have no customers. So that is why if you do not have a healthy traded sector industry, you can't have healthy local sector economies. And that's why you think about all of our lumber towns in Oregon. When that one lumber mill mill left, the town's decimated. So this is really important when we talk about why we need to take care of businesses is to hell have a healthy ecosystem. Because, of course, we hear a lot of pushback about that. For instance, you know, in the political atmosphere mm-hmm. on Twitter, on you know, if you're if you're an online kind of political person, you hear a lot of about capitalism and how it's destroying everything and how businesses need to pay their fair share. And and what is your response to to those kind of arguments? Well, exactly that. I mean, we need to talk about why you need to have both of these businesses. And so right now, one of the um, big initiatives right now is what we're calling the Chips Act. So Intel. If you think about it, Intel is our lumber mill. Is this going to be on the May ballot? No, we're, but we're fi- what's what's coming up. We're seeing a lot of arguments about the urban growth boundary right now because what we're what we're losing out on in the Portland region is the ability to attract more semiconductor companies, large companies, because we have limited sites. We don't have big sites, five hundred thousand acre sites. Intel just went into Columbus. They're going into New York. So to be to make ourselves competitive, we need those sites. And when we have our urban growth boundary, it's more challenging. So that's a big issue right now. Um, in right now at the state is making sure that we can have one of those sites. Has Tina Kotek agreed to expand that? My understanding is she's agreed to, or she's talking about expanding that for affordable housing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we need to look at that as well. That's a whole nother discussion supply and demand on our housing issue and we could we could have a whole nother podcast on that one Kristen. Right. <laughs> um, we may need to have you come back yeah and so what I where, where I would stand from an economic development standpoint is yes land is one component but the other critical issues is do we have the talent do we have the workforce are we training our workforce and do we have a supportive business climate Intel went to Columbus because the governor and a lot of constituents bent over backwards to make sure they were known, that they were welcome and appreciated. And you've got University of Ohio right there, one of the largest universities in the country, excellent workforce. Why didn't we do that? Why? Yeah. Where was Kate? Was this during Kate Brown's tenure? Correct. And this is, again, why I ran for Metro, because we have such, from my observation, because I did the regional economic development strategy for the Portland region two years ago. When I went through that process, it was very, very apparent to me that we have, except for Jerry Willie um, at Washington County, I would say we have almost no one in the elected leadership level that really understands why we need traded sector companies. 
you will see all of our elected I think leaders. That's exactly right. They talk about local business and small business. Well, they don't care about those either. Uh, well, they'll, they, at least they'll say. Believe we me, care if about they cared business. about those, they would not levy the preschool yeah. tax and the homeless tax and and every other tax under the sun on small burdening small business. I mean, that's yeah. like that's one of their number one agendas. It seems to be is burdening small businesses because, of course, you're like in our in this business. This is a law firm. We're paying all of that because we're Portland residents. We pay all that twice. So you pay it once as an individual. If you have a PC, mm -hmm. if you have a corporation, you're paying that again through your corporation. So you're, I mean, you're certainly paying. I just want to make clear, like you're certainly paying your fair share. The idea that a small, I mean, a small business certainly fits the bill for these, you know, people making. What did Anthony Effinger say in Willamette Week? Um, I, I think, I think for even companies. It's, it's just like a few, it's under a million dollars in a lot uh, yeah. of instances. Yeah, I mean, that's one of the taxes right now that at a state level, the um, the CAT tax, the uh, corporate... There you go, corporate activity, activity tax. tax, right? That is just $1 million of your gross receipts. That's exactly right. So that's not what you collect. No, that's what you just, you sold. You, that's not after paying for employees, insurance, everything that goes... You could have lost money, Right. Well, guess what? Here's and you're the still part. paying gross receipts. Well, that's exactly right. We're not we're not passing that on to our clients. I want to make that clear. But I will say, like, I noticed a few months mm -hmm. after that passed, we were eating out at a restaurant or getting a coffee or something, and I saw like cat tax on our receipts. I'm like, what is this? Another tax? It was like it was like a phone bill practically. The way they were itemizing all these taxes on our receipt. I'm like, oh, they're just passing all this off just like everybody said they were going to do. Yep. Like, we're all paying this cat tax. Mm -hmm. The corporations aren't paying it. We're paying it. Right. Right. One way or another, someone's, yeah, we're going to get it. Yeah, the it. yeah. It's a regressive tax yeah. because the consumer ends up yeah. paying for it. Right. Right. Yeah. The, so right now in the... Did the, you see that coming? You must have seen that coming because you understand these... That one, no. I mean, what I, what I think what... And this is part of the discussion and what we need to be aware of. I think what is... It's all within the last five years. I think that's what's so overwhelming. And we have just stacked all of these different taxes from a state level, a regional level, a county level, and a local level. And we just keep saying yes over and over. And I think now we have just hit the wall. It's all come to bear in terms of what we've done. And so I think that's why... It's getting so much attention right now. So that, no, I think what I got the red flag when I was doing the regional economic development strategy and Metro's transportation tax was coming out, that one did not pass only because Nike, Intel, and so many businesses came together and raised about over $2 million to fight that one. That would have been another income tax, a payroll tax across the region, but we didn't pass that one. When that was coming that's when I said I started looking at this and saying what is going on you know because from an economic development standpoint typically you know we can talk about taxes but it's not really a factor it's really do you have the talent and other businesses there to succeed but what's happened is one the amount of taxes and we're not getting a return on the investment that's what's so frustrating for so many of the business leaders when I talk to the business leaders they're okay with the income tax, paying for preschool for all, paying for homeless services if we saw results. If it's really for all and if if homeless are really mm -hmm. getting off the streets, mm -hmm. none yeah. of which is occurring. Yeah. 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 No, I think everybody around here is willing to open up their pocketbook for any kind of result whatsoever. It's just there's these people don't know how to run programs. Mm -hmm. 
Right. And I think that's a frustration. And so when we get to this level of the taxes, and so we can talk about that a little bit more, you know, you could be like, well, why do I care? I think why we need to care is right now we're facing almost, a, what, 40%, well, 30% vacancy rate. At least we know that, 30% vacancy rate in downtown. Commercial. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. For the commercial office buildings. So when you layer on this tax rate, who's going to come and lease in the city of Portland? Right. And so what we're talking about. So when we're, there's two different for what I mean, I don't know what you experienced. I, I ask guests usually when they come on what they experience getting here, because it's really a trip just to get here, especially if you don't come into downtown a lot. You probably do. But for my guests who don't come into downtown a lot, it's kind of a trip to just get into the building because you have to navigate. You're usually navigating around tents, bodies, people smoking on foil, just even if you parked a block away. Yeah. And this is 10th and Taylor, like we're right next door mm-hmm. to the Central Library where people should be taking their children and mm-hmm. uh, reading to them. And I mean, I don't know if you saw any of that. I don't know if that 10 is still right outside the bridal store down there. But No, that wasn't there. Okay. Well, that's, <laughs> I'm sure they're finally happy that was removed. That's been there for a week. So there's been a there's a bridal store downstairs that's in a, in a makeup place that is owned by a black woman. And I thought we were supposed to support black female-owned businesses and um, my friend Catherine runs that cosmetic store, and she is contending with people smoking off of foil in her alcove, tents. She's got, she has had a tent kitty corner from her beauty business, and this bright, poor bridal place has had a tent right outside of them, so they're right next door to her, for close to a week now. I mean, who is going to yeah. traverse a tent yeah, in order to try on yeah. a, you know, $5,700 gown or some makeup? Yeah. Oh, I know. When I was camping, the horror stories I heard from the businesses down here. I mean, the wine shop left, right? Because that's exactly the scenario on a microcosm here, right? Your local businesses, the wine shop left because all of the businesses weren't here. Your traded sector businesses here, right? The lawyers that are selling services or software people selling software, bringing in money. Yeah. They're not going to the local businesses. That's the exact dynamic we're talking about. Well, they're not coming into work. No, they're not. And so this is a whole new realm we need to be thinking about. We're entering in a whole new world with these, typically the white-collar jobs, right? Higher-paying jobs are remote work. The city's not coming into work. Right. I mean, that's part of our problem. What happened to be here for Portland? You know, what happened to travel Portland? What happened to all these these initiatives we're funding to get people downtown? We can't even get our damn employees Mm -hmm. to come downtown. And I think that's... How are we supposed to expect the public to come downtown when the employees won't come? And we need to be thinking, what I would argue. (laughs) I don't don't want to venture away from your points, but I'm just, (laughs) you're sending me, you're sending me right now. No, I think this is a whole nother issue. And again, I talked about when I was running and, you know, I'm um, president of the board for crew, commercial real estate women right now. And we have a forecast breakfast every year and we had it in January. And we had a guy, fabulous presenter, John Chang. Um, he's from Marcus Millichap. He's out of Arizona, but he leads real estate research across the country. And he grew up here. He grew up in Laurelhurst. And he came and he, you know, we had dinner before and he pretty much made these remarks at the at the breakfast. He was like, what has happened to this city? He, when he, this is what he said. And he, well, and I absolutely agree. We have no vision right now. Right. Yeah, we have no right. vision. And so if remote work has shifted the paradigm, where are we going to go? We used to be. The, I mean, that's why, you know, I've heard I know you sometimes frustrated with Metro. But I think as a regional government, we could be incredible because when you think about economies, 
natural systems, transportation, they all function on a regional level. They don't function in city only in the city of Tigard, only in Gresham, only For in the sure. city. So it could be an incredibly powerful resource. But we what it's done, the culture there has gone back to, well, let the cities figure it out. That's not a vision. Right. That's and not then, a direction. And then I kind of go, well, then why do we need Metro? Right, right. And that's why a fair do, question. What are we paying right. you people for? Right, right. And, and why, why are you levying these burdensome taxes on us and, and keep just absolutely killing us with all these um, non-functional uh, programs that you want funded to the hilt? And there's no, I mean, we're looking around and you're, they're not doing anything. They're just finger pointing. Yeah. So I think, you know, the challenge in coming out of this and so lessons learned, um, I think we... This isn't fun because I know the world is crazy right now. We all have a lot going on. But we need to take back some of this burden of educating ourselves. That's what you're doing with this podcast. Um, Hopefully that's what we can talk about. And I think that's what's really kind of the lessons learned with all of these initiatives and these measures we're passing for these taxes. And, you know, I really want to talk about the questions I'm going to be asking myself going forward is – we need to be asking how are these, first of all, how are these going to be implemented? Because what I have found so much within all of these measures, they're really good at vague language. Like, look at the homeless bond we all voted for. I was for. just thinking about that. The Oregonian said, the Oregonian, don't vote for this mm-hmm. because it is so vague. Mm-hmm. We don't know what, they said the same, they may have said the same thing about preschool. They definitely warned about it. Yeah. They were like, look, there's no curriculum standards here. Why are they being paid so much? This should be a federal program. This doesn't, like, this. we already have the state program. We already have Head Start. Mm-hmm. The state program is called Preschool Promise. That is a debacle in and of itself. I mean, that that's hundreds of millions of dollars, is my understanding, that are going nowhere. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. I mean, they're fan, they're, it's not being used for preschool. I don't, I don't know what's happening with it, but that, that's a major... The newspaper's been shining a light on it. Nobody's responding to it. Kotech's not right. talking about it. The legislature's not talking about it. And then, of course, we've got... We already have the federal program Head Start that we right. pay for that I think we do a great job yeah. with. It just needs to be... I, I think we all agree with preschool for all. Can't we just expand the darn federal mm-hmm. Head Start program? Right. They seem to work that pretty well. Right. Um, and so, yeah. we, you know, and I think that's what we need to be doing as residents is start asking these questions. What, what, and I voted for preschool for all because I advocate, you know, we got to train our workforce, economic development, but shame on I me. I am for proud not to say that is one of the dumb things that I did not vote yeah. for. And I voted for all the others. Yeah. But that, that one, I, I did sit that one out. Yeah. Because, you know, and, and I should have. And you're a professor. Yeah. You're a professor. Yeah. So, I mean, if, and, a, if my a professor was, can't navigate this, yeah, yeah. how is the average voter, with all these darn ballot measures, how is the average mm-hmm. voter supposed to make their way through this voter guide Bible that's fi- or, th- or some of these decoy voter guide Bibles? Yeah. I don't know if you notice in the general election, but, you know, League of Women Voters, oh, yeah. all these affinity groups are sending out their own, quote, unquote, voter guide. Yeah. And it's very deceptive. Yeah. Yeah. It looks like an official voter mm-hmm. guide. It looks like potentially a nonpartisan voter guide. Mm-hmm. And then you figure out where it's coming from, and it's like, oh, no, 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 this is, like, clearly associated with all these different affinity groups. Right. Um, but, you know, I, the average citizen, you, you wouldn't know. I mean, it looks very anodyne. looks like you might yeah. use that to work your way through the ballot. Right. Which is the other point. You know, I think 
we really need to start looking into who is funding these initiatives. So I think Measure 110 is a really good example. That was a Trojan horse. That's one of the stupid things I voted for. Oh, I did too, because I thought, okay, and this is what you do if you do it vague enough. I mean, this is what happened with the homeless bomb. Well, of course they're going to get people off the into shelters and immediately off the street because they're struggling. We didn't know it was going to be for more housing, right? Right. So Measure 110, when you look into that, you know, when you look at the people who were fighting against it, Mike Marshall with Oregon Recover says it was never designed to promote access to treatment. We were going to be using marijuana dollars to match Medicaid, which you can't do, right? You can't do that. That's illegal federally. So it would have never, again, what are the details? And then when you look at who was advocating it for, who was advocating for it, it was Drug Policy Alliance, invested $3.2 million in the measure, and all they advocate for is decriminalizing drugs. Would we have just voted to decriminalize drugs? Probably not. The point is, if, if you're for decriminalizing drugs, okay, but just be aware of that, right? I think we all need to become much more, and this is a burden, what are we really voting on here? So I think that's the other message with all of these tax measures that are coming forward. And the other, you know, the other... How do we do that, though? What do we um, teach us? Like, I, I get my ballot and I get my voter guide, how do I educate myself about what the hell is going on around here? I would say, you know, I, to your point of the Oregonian, yeah, right, I think they're doing a great job. Shane, Shane Kavanaugh looks into PCEF. He f- really drilled in, in on that. In a and shift PCEF is? Uh, the Portland Clean Energy Fund, oh. another tax we all voted for, a gross like receipt. boondoggle. Right, and um, really calling out that we're, it's, it's, it goes to the implementation. So I would say... Let's really, I think, I, what we can do, support the Oregonian. Willamette Week does a great job. Nigel does a great job. Read our local newspapers, really. They're, trying to, they're doing some great reporting. That would be an easy first step is don't just look at the voter guides. Don't just think this is really straightforward. Although, I don't know. I mean, we've got somebody who was on the Charter Commission who's got a standing column in the Oregonian. I mean, how far do we really go? Well, and, you know, and they're, you know, and I'll defend them. They're trying to give different perspectives, right? Because they're called out too conservative, right? So they're pulling in different voices. By Mercury readers. I I don't know anybody else who calls the Oregonian (laughs) conservative. So It's like calling Tina Kotek a conservative. Right, right. So we, you know... Be aware. I think we just need to start realizing there's these issues are very complex. Do not think a simple answer is going to solve, and money alone is not going to solve. But that's what scares me. I think that's what scares me is that you, you know, I've got this professor sitting across from me, telling me this stuff is complex. If I'm an average person working, you know, nine to what really eight to six, mm-hmm. I've got kids at home, I've got pets, I've got a spouse, or I'm divorced, even worse, I'm alone, doing mm-hmm. all a whole bunch of stuff extra. The last thing I'm going to be th- thinking about is my voter guide, and then how do exactly. I navigate that thing at the last minute? Right, right. And, you know, and how I, do I read all these articles? Right, And right. understand them, you know? And, you know, I will also say, added to that, um, we both work with Portland Party. I think they're doing a great job. They're sending out brief email email, email blasts. Here's yeah, this I event. Um, That's where I send people to. Honestly, they're doing a great job. I mean, I applaud them. Grassroots, 
grounded people just trying to educate people. And I'm not, this is, this is hard. I get it exactly who you described. I don't know how we cut through and that's the danger. It's all, you know, um, that's why all of this is getting passed because everyone is so distracted, overwhelmed, seems like a great idea, right? Oh, I'm sure, you know, the other mistake, oh, I'm sure they have this figured out, right? Preschool for all, I'm sure they know where they're going to put these, who the teachers are, exactly what the budget is, what if they need. If there's going to be a curriculum, yeah. Mm-hmm. And we used to think that way. Like when we go back to Metro, like in 96, when they first came out with the park bond, it failed because people are like, what are you paying for? Like we used to hold a standard and say, hmm. where are my tax dollars going? So they had to come back and be much more explicit. This is where we're investing. This is what we're doing. I mean, when I talk to people in Oklahoma City and, you know, North Carolina, that's how you vote for a bond measure. It's very clear. Here's what I'm getting. Here's what I'm voting for. Here are these projects. If we can't explain what we're spending the money on, I'm going to say no. Isn't part of that ideology, though? I mean, aren't you talking about states where voters automatically are wary of taxes, mm-hmm. whereas mm-hmm. in our state, we we hear the word tax and we think we have positive associations with it overwhelmingly. I mean, not everybody in the state. We're, Portland's a blue dot and a red sea, but Portlanders, I think, have overwhelming positive associations with the word tax. I think they have, we're, I think, is that changing? I hope it is. I think the danger of these also, what's happened is they've been crafted to seem as though they're hitting someone else. You're yeah, going for rich really taxes. rich people. Yeah. You're, you're going really rich people. A gross receipt tax, you know, a sales tax on, on Walmart. Right. Right. They, there's a, these are being that it crafted. it turns out you're going to pay for. Right. One way or another. You know, what they don't understand, what they may now understand now that Anthony Effinger, now that his article has come out, now that Multnomah County is asking for their... They've got their hands out and they're levying, you know, Sharon Myron got everybody to reverse that penalty. But, you know, Multnomah County had their hands out, like, where's our preschool tax? And everybody went, wait a minute, what do I owe? Mm -hmm. What do I owe on that? In addition to this homelessness thing and in addition, and as Anthony Effinger wrote in Willamette Week in that They Left article, that cover story, you know, he said, if you're making $125,000 a year or more as an individual, and that would be a lot of state workers uh, 250000 or more as a married couple, um, he said, you're, you're paying the same amount as a New Yorker making $25 million or more. Mm-hmm. Those people are currently the highest taxed in the country. But he said, given how low our threshold is mm-hmm. for these quote-unquote rich taxes, at $125,000, re- we really have the highest tax mm-hmm. burden in the country. Because right. look at the amount of people paying this. Right. They're paying the highest rate in the country. For right. what? Right. Individual income tax highest rate in the city of Portland. So Correct. I wonder if it is starting to sink in at a lot of these um, more, I, I don't think, mo- I, I think most people would look around and not call 125000 gross rich because uh, you're not keeping all that. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think a lot of people would look around and say, I, you know, I don't know that that's a rich, quote unquote rich person. Uh, it, and it falls on a lot of people that I think did not expect to pay that tax. Right, right. And so now what we're going back to is this issue of trade. So those are the typically your business leaders, business owners, right? And so that's their individual tax. And then we have a whole, if you were to look at what are the business taxes, right? Yeah, talk about that because I think there are a lot of people who are not in the private sector 
and they truly believe, especially in Portland, because I think in Portland, you know, a lot of these private sector people are moving away. Mm -hmm. A lot of these businesses are moving away. What do we have left? We've got nonprofits and government workers. And I think if you're part of a nonprofit or a government worker, this is the city for you. I, I think there may be a lot of those people listening saying, well, wait a minute, these these private corporations, they're not paying their fair share. So tell us about what these taxes are, because I think we're reading that, in fact, in Oregon and in Portland, we might have low corporate taxes. Mm. No, so it uh, just came out, Ernst & Young, October 2022, um, commissioned by the Oregon Business and Industry Council. So effectively, to be, you know, so many different taxes, if we look at sales tax versus property tax, income tax, what are we all paying? So they just do an effective business tax rate. Where you are now in the city of Portland, so when you look at state and local taxes, it's about 5.4% is your effective business tax rate. California is at 5.1. So there's our well, data that point. Says it all. And the, the U.S. average is about 5.0. So, that so that's Uber, that's Twitter, that's, you know, that's what they're paying. Yeah. And we're paying more than that. Yeah. And that applies to... All businesses. That's local. That's in the city of Portland. Right. So that applies to the cosmetics mm-hmm. company mm-hmm. downstairs. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's your business. The yeah. bridal company. Yeah. That that applied to poor Margulies mm-hmm. Jewelers that, mm-hmm. of course, went out of business. Mm-hmm. That building's still vacant mm-hmm. on Broadway. Right. The yeah. One, yeah. Your effective rate. So why? So the question has now become. So so they're so they're all paying a bigger rate than, like, the Ubers, the Twitters, yeah. like all these California yeah. companies. Yeah, effective, effective business. Right. Right. The, We're the paying movie more. companies, yeah. Warner yeah. Brothers, yeah. yeah, in California. So <laughs> why? So and then you—that's oh, the boy. business, and then you have the, your individual right, right? So we have these two factors coming together. So a business owner. Let's also not. What also is what businesses hate is risk and uncertainty. If we just keep stacking these taxes with initiatives. Who knows what this rate is going to go to? There's nothing checking. Oh, There's, no check the bal- There's no check and balance. <laughs> right. So why would you, no one's going to come. I shouldn't, that's a little aggressive. Some people may choose not to come. Very. It's going to be a deterrent, right? When we're competing. I think it already the, is, but yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Not to mention what I'm hearing from accounting firms, their consulting firms, the consulting line that's booming is, do I move to Bend, Vancouver, Washington, or Lake Oswego? That's exactly right. So we've created this situation. Again, remember those traded sector companies. If we don't have those, your makeup store downstairs doesn't have people coming in and buying the product. Our local businesses will suffer. But remind us why we care about that. Like, I'm, let's say I'm a nonprofit person. I'm a government worker. I think businesses are... You know they're a little evil. They mm-hmm. they they're all they're they're just for the dollar. They they might exploit their workers. I'm concerned about that. I mean, why do I why do I t- remind me why I care about these businesses? If you're a government worker, your your golden goose is leaving. Your tax revenue goes down, so you you might lose your job. Your program might not get funded, and that includes like teacher funding. Mm-hmm. Teachers, we're looking at the decrease in PPS, right? The amount of enrollments going down. The oh, amount they're of funding saying maybe goes thousands down. of yeah. kids yeah, yeah. have left. So you're losing funding from the state. You're losing your allocation based on pupil. So, yeah, so if you're a government employee, if you lose business, your tax, what's your, you know, so much of the city of Portland, it's 
in, it's more indirect, but it's property tax based. So when you're looking at a huge, significant vacancy rate, buildings going into foreclosure, your property taxes are going down. Again, what's funding your budget? And from the nonprofit sector. See, I can hear people saying, oh, God, my property taxes are too high. I'm glad my property taxes are going down. And I think the reminder is, yeah, that's, you know, if you're a homeowner, I mean, individually, on an individual basis, that might be a good thing. But overall, that's it's not a mm-hmm. good indicator of economic growth. Like, no, no. It's not good for your for your retirement fund. It's not good for your for everything else that's going on in the world. No. It's not it's not good for the these the schools. It's not good for these programs that it's not good for these homeless programs you want funded. If your property taxes are going down, your value's going down. Well that too. Right, right. That means your equity's going down. Right. Um you're gonna sell for a lot less. Uh-huh. Yeah. So which gets us to that capital gains tax. We'll have to talk about so that. So remember two thousand eight, everybody. Yeah. Remember 2008 when your when your property taxes went down and they factored that in that was the one piece of relief that you had because if you were selling your house you were looking around at the market and realizing that that had bottomed out and that you were going to sell for bottom dollar on that if you had to sell and, and move for whatever reason if you if you had to get leave a neighborhood or go into a different district or whatever you needed to do there are a lot of us who have moved quadrants in Portland I was unfortunately one of them at that time. I mean, yeah, you sold at the bottom of the market. So you don't want to be in that – you don't want things to be in that position. Now, there is a, is a middle ground. I mean, you also don't want everything to be sky high. That has its own problems, and it, we're always talking about that. But we, we never talk about these other problems. Right. Well, and I will say relative – so based on these initiatives back in the 90s, we had the reverse problem. With bill size, more came in. We, we capped, right? We only increased property tax by 3%. That's right. Right? So – all th- we're pre- we're pretty fortunate here. Again, if we're going to talk about you know from economic development, if we oh, were yeah, I mean, about look at Jersey. I mean, we could have those kind of California. We could have those kind of property taxes. Or Texas, they brag all day about no income tax, but I hear from people who their property tax no in some in- cities. Yeah, Austin is very yeah. high. Austin yeah. is very. They can't high. live there anymore. So all things being equal, pretty fortunate on the property taxes. Um, so except for if again, if we this upcoming capital gains tax in may so perkins and company did an analysis and again these measures that are in self-initiative it does not address homes so our federal tax tax capital gains excludes homes but the measured is silent and so you could include homes as capital gains they're saying that they won't that's their argument. Right. We'll fix it later. Yeah, it's very it's very charter-esque. Right. That's a pretty dangerous, again, one of these didn't think it through, could easily include your home. The other thing that's not, that's silent in there, there is no income threshold like the other ones that have $125,000. They're saying so, there will be. Again, it's not in there. They're that saying is, it'll be second and, homes. And, and, when, and when you, <laughs> and when you, how, what's your mechanism for fixing this? The voters adopted it. What's your mechanism for fixing this? That's another thing that's not addressed. Well, that's what scares me right. because we we that charter, you and I were against that charter reform mm-hmm. that was on this most recent ballot, and I think we were both kind of hoping for Mingus's Ulysses pack uh, measure to be on the ballot in May, and we were hoping that the 
the most recent charter reform would not pass. It did pass with just handily. I mean, mm-hmm. everybody voted for it. And they everybody that I talked to that voted for it had trigger finger. Like, they just said, I couldn't help myself. The, the government is screwed up. I felt like I had to vote for it. And I just, I have confidence that... That we'll just sort it out. We no. will fix it later. How? So I don't know. You know, we'll elect Renee, and we've got Mingus, and they'll vote on you know some amendments that'll fix some of that stuff. And I just, I kind of look around and I'm like, I, I'm, I'm not seeing these amendments popping up. I mean, I, I like them too, but I'm, I'm, I'm not hearing about these. No. I mean, put yourself in their position politically. Who wants to take that on? Right. Who would want to take on a fix? to something that the voters just adopted, 58%. By a large margin. I mean, I think 58% is is relatively big. And to get anyone to pay attention to the nuance and the detail, no. And now we have commission after commission after commission trying to tie up these mm-hmm. loose ends. Everybody's trying to understand what all these various commissions are doing. The Oregonian is doing some really good reporting on who's on, and actually Richard Sheverton on his Substack, Portland Descent, mm-hmm. is doing good reporting about who's on these commissions, what are they doing. He's, he's listening in on all these commission meetings and reporting about them, and I think a lot of people are just kind of like, what the heck? Wait, wait a minute, I didn't vote for all these commissions, and I'm like, oh, you absolutely yeah, you did. did. Mm-hmm. Yep, again, looking at the details. I mean, sit there and really think through how are these going to be implemented, I think, is um, something we need to be asking ourselves. So so talk more about this capital gains tax, because I think people are being told that, it, it first of all, that it will not apply to your average homeowner, that it will not apply to someone who has just a primary residence in Oregon. I'm hearing that people are told it will not apply if your house is worth you know, $700,000 or less, a million dollars or less. This is, again, this is a rich tax, and we really need to support renters, and renters need legal counsel, and they're able to be evicted too easily, et cetera. Well, I mean, I think we go to the preschool for all model, right? We already had a state fund, and we had a federal fund. We already have funds paying for rent relief, right? Even Mayor Wheeler... Chair Vega Peterson and Lynn Peterson at Metro have come out against this because they've that said... That says it all. Did everybody hear that? Lynn Peterson. Wheeler, okay, maybe you might think he's a moderate. In the United States, as far as mayors go, no. But, okay, in Portland, he's probably a moderate. Jessica Vega Peterson and Lynn Peterson think this capital gains tax is a bad idea. Just sit with that for a minute. This is a... This is... The head of Metro and the preschool for all gal, who's now the head of the county, these are people who love nothing but taxing you. And they're saying, don't vote for this. Right. We already have funds. What we, a red flag. Right. We already have the money. Who is pushing this through? You talked about the Drug Policy Alliance. Who's behind this capital gains thing? Um, it is... Uh, is there a national organization doing this? The all I know is it was oh that's scary Nate, all I know Ni- <laughs> Nigel reported on this the signatures came from the Democratic Socialists of America oh there we go okay so this I don't know that they is. I don't know that they wrote the ballot measure a woman um call I'm blank it's Colleen um she's at PSU she's been um, working on uh, tracking rental evictions. Uh, she's been involved. She's the main advocate, but all the signatures came from the Democratic Socialists of America. They were also behind all the signatures for preschool for all. 
okay, every, everybody's alarm bells should be going off right now. I've heard from countless listeners, they don't know anybody who has a child enrolled in this preschool for all program. And yet we're paying through the nose as as Amanda said when she came on for the election episode, it's it's Catelyn Gable with the gold crown. It's as Sharon Myron said, it's like a hundred some thousand per kid per year for the kids that this is go the very few kids this is going to. Nobody even knows who who this tiny amount is because it's such a small sector. And then I, I think if you ask those people if they're getting that kind of a return, if they feel like they're getting a Catelyn Gable style or oh yes style education for their child, I don't I don't know that they would agree with that. Um, so everybody's alarm bells should be ringing right now. These are the same people that push preschool for all that are pushing this capital mm-hmm. gains. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. And it just goes back to, let's ask that question. Do we have other mechanisms? Yes, we do. The city and county already funded an eviction legal defense program. Portland has $6.2 million for eviction and defense. Wait, wait, wait. Talk about this. So, so how many millions are already going to eviction defense? $6.2 million. Per year? But no, no. They, they, have, they allocated that amount with our American Rescue Plan. $6.2 million for eviction and defense. And when we so that's already in place. That's been going on for we when we got that a few years ago. Yeah. Okay. So and it's probably twenty twenty. Oregon adopted statewide rent control in twenty nineteen. Did not know this. Yeah. We have statewide rent control. Mm-hmm. Why yeah, is everybody screaming escalate. about how the rent's too high? Uh, well, we limited it. It can increase seven percent a year, and they're saying because it's allowed to adjust for inflation, it's going to go up for infl- inflation. So we have adopted mechanisms. And so when we look at PSU's report, what it comes out to, there's probably 200 trials a year. That's how many there were in 2022 for evictions, rental evictions. So we're already, are we already paying for lawyers? We have the funds in a legal defense program. Is yeah. that actually going? I mean, are, are people getting lawyers who are being evicted? They that should, they, that's well, well again, the, I mean, I guess if they're not, they should be wondering where the hell their, their money's going. Right. Because and what, what is, fif- what's more money going to do? Like it gets, this is getting back to the system and I can't answer the details of the system. And right isn't now. that scary yeah. because we've got all these millions sitting around and we, we apparently, we, you know, neither of us can answer this question. Right. Where is this money? So even if you put more money in, that's the golden question. How are people <laughs> accessing it? How are we using it, right? We, we tend to be, and again, that was my earlier comment, we keep thinking if we just give money to these issues, that will take care of it. But we're not thinking through who's doing the work. How is it getting implemented? And so that's the other reason. And we're not explaining that in the capital gains tax, right? What's the problem? Why is it not working now? Why is the current system not working now? If you could explain to me why the current funding isn't working and we need this additional funding, then it might be something to consider. So that this is like preschool. This is a lot like preschool. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. I mean, when preschool is coming down the pike, the argument that I was reading against it and the reason that I voted for, against it was, look, we already have preschool promise. That's a statewide mm-hmm. program. That's not going anywhere we don't know where the money's going. It's it's being run terribly. We've got Head Start, which is being run great for low-income families. Multnomah County is telling us, now this was under Deb Kofori, 
um, and Jessica Vega-Peterson was championing it. She's now our chair, of course. And they're telling us that this is going to go to the underserved children first. Well, ostensibly, they're being served by Head Start. Mm -hmm. Very well. Mm -hmm. That's a great program. Mm -hmm. it, it serves tons of kids in poverty it, throughout the United States. It's a wonderful, wonderful program, and it has data to support it. So that's already in place. Then we have preschool promises other layer. Now we have this third layer of preschool. And again, like you said, if, if you look around and you're not seeing preschool, where, where's the preschool promise money going? And if it's supposed to be preschool for all, then that means it's not just the underserved, right? Is right. it all? Right. Is it all or is it just the underserved? Because if right. it's just the underserved, we've solved that with Head Start. Mm -hmm. So again, like right. you said, look into this and ask the questions and nobody's asking any questions. Right. 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 And the other danger with the capital gains tax, if, if you just click on their measure, go to their website, click on the measure, it says the tax rate may be increased based on annual reports. So not up to us as the voters, just based what on... What are annual annual reports from the Democratic Socialists of America? I, from whom? Exactly. What are the details of that? Who? Is it the county? Who's doing these annual reports? Okay, so I am on the Portland Democratic Socialists of America website right now. January 29th, 2023, it, they, they've got a little article on here called Tax the Rich, Building on Our Successes, Plotting Course for the Future. And they say, Tax the Rich is a seasoned Portland Democratic Socialists of America working group where we think about how to move money and power from the rich to the working class. So far, our wealth tax work has been remarkably successful. In 2021-2022, we saw the first $208 million flow from the wealthy to fund universal preschool. So there you go. They're behind the preschool. Our universal preschool campaign, which we worked on, and through the passage of preschool for all, is good for kids, families, workers. And then they said, we're not slowing down in taxation. Um, we will be taxing wealth, they're saying, and they're saying that they're working on this, in particular, this capital gains tax. And so I think the question that you're raising is, is it really a rich tax? They're saying they're helping f their friends at eviction representation for all by developing a capital gains tax that will fund legal representation for renters in eviction court. And you're saying that should that is already funded, and that's why Metro is against this, and that's why Multnomah County is against this. And so... Where if that's not being funded, where is the money going? And then I guess the Democratic Socialists would say, who cares? This is about redistribution of wealth. I mean, how do we, how would you answer that charge that we need to, I mean, because I think that's what they'd say. We need to redistribute wealth here. Yeah, I, I, I would agree with that because when you look at, they argue, um, so one of the advocates for um, this rent defense program um, rental eviction defense program they say you know it's been done in Colorado well in Colorado they tied the funding to new apartment complexes which has more of a nexus right if you're building there's a fee associated with your apartment complex this is what I would be curious to know and ask them why did you choose this method of taxation why didn't you use that same method for new apartment buildings that you used in Colorado, which seems to have a more direct correlation between renters' rights? Why are you doing... This is the only local capital gains tax in the country. Mm, well, that's important. I did not know that. Okay, so everybody sit with that. This, is, this proposal on the May ballot is the only local capital gains tax in the country being proposed. 
Mm-hmm. Well, Portland is the guinea pig for all right. this Right, and I think that is... Because we, we vote for it. Mm-hmm. We're idiots. Don't be an idiot, okay? <laughs> Just don't do what I did. Um, don't vote for all this stuff automatically. Start looking into it and start just sitting with it and thinking about, I mean, holy cow, if Jessica Vega Peterson is against this thing, I mean, when I, when I think about things like redistribution of wealth, that seems like something she would get behind, and she's against it. She's telling you that there's already money in place to fund these eviction representations, millions, in fact. Um, so, I, so now I'm reading the Democratic Socialists of America website, the national website, and they're saying, yes, the Portland chapter is getting eviction representation for all on the ballot. And they're saying it funds attorneys for people facing eviction with a 0.75% capital gains tax expect, expected to raise 10 to $15 million. They're also creating a tenant's resource office of the county government. So, okay, your money will also be going to fund a new layer of county government called the tenant's resource office that's responsible for all sorts of things. So that's going to fund... A, a new arm of government, and Jessica Vega Peterson is your county chair telling you to vote against this. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think it is amazing that she came out against this because yeah. I, I would have thought I would have bet a million bucks that she was right. for it. Right. So if you voted for Jessica Vega Peterson and you're a progressive person, she's telling you don't vote for this capital gains tax. Lynn Peterson, very progressive person. If you voted for Lynn Peterson for Metro, she is telling you, do not vote for this capital gains tax. Tell your friends, tell your neighbors, tell your relatives. These are the people coming out against this. I mean, you would think that the county would be for this. Another county arm mm-hmm. of government? Yay. Mm-hmm. I mean, more people as part of our fiefdom? And, and she's saying, no, don't vote for this. I think that's a big deal. Yeah. Okay, so, well, thank and you again, that. you know, and again back to this perspective if we're trying to keep our economic base if we one i think that does tell you a lot right there that those people are against it if we bring this in yet again we're just signaling to everyone we vote yes to every tax what about the argument there may be some people out there listening saying look i'm a socialist i do believe in the redistribution of wealth i do believe you know i've read the data after you make, I don't know, what is it, $150,000 a year? I don't even remember what it is. But there's some data that says you don't, you don't get happier beyond that because, you know, if the, if the water heater goes out or if your iPhone breaks, it doesn't ruin your life, right? Mm-hmm. So, so there is a, is a way in which money makes you happy. But beyond that, the data says it doesn't really. And so if I'm, if I'm one of the democratic socialists, I might say, well, look, um, th- a lot of these people – uh, we they should redistribute their wealth because we do have poor and struggling people. We've got a lot of single moms working five jobs out there. Oregon is not a rich state. Portland is not. Portland is not a rich city. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's part of the mm-hmm. issue here. We don't have a lot of money to fund this mm-hmm. thing. And so it's an argument against it. But they, they would also come probably say, yeah, it's not a rich city. And we have a lot of people out there that are really struggling that could use this redistribution. I mean, what, what would you say to that? When you chased away those people that make the income to redistribute what are you going to redistribute yeah i mean at some point i mean it's a conservative trope 
but it's it's coming true in Portland that yeah. at some point you really do run out of other people's money. I mean, we've seen, you know, I don't want to be too hyperbolic. It's not but trickling with, down either. It's not getting to poor people. No. I don't see poor people doing no. better with these no. taxes. Does anybody else? I only see things getting worse. Mm-hmm. I don't know how they think this is going to re it's not redistributing. I would say it's not redistributing no. well. No, it is it's not. It's sending money to the county into nowhere, well, into an abyss. And what's happening is the county and the city and our the government entities are just handing it out, are distributing it back to nonprofits. Say more about that. So what's happening is what we're not, I am, my core frustration is again this implementation so we have these grand concepts right of preschool for all so the county gets the money but it's up to the schools there's a pilot program right now with the Montessori they have to implement it they're struggling with implementing it if we look at the homeless bond we're handing out money um, it comes to the counties and they're giving it to the nonprofits. They're the ones responsible. So what the point is, we have no accountability. How do we go back and make sure that we're actually implementing this funding? And so I know you've had, te- so more specifically, you had Kevin Dahlgren on here, right? Kevin works for City of Gresham in terms of providing homeless services. Right. I know that Happy Valley has their code enforcement people talking to the people who are homeless. We do not have that in the city of Portland, right? We're distributing that out to nonprofits. Who do we call? I know why Gresham's in successful. You call Kevin, right? There's a person at the city. Well, no, but people in the city of Gresham, right? They know I'm going to call the city. I live in the city of Gresham. I want a SAS person. Portland residents also call Kevin because we don't know who else to call. And that, again, it goes back to this core issue of, and and he'll tell you and talking to him again, it's him out there talking to people, getting them the services we need. I've never seen anyone walking around in a green vest that says city of Portland talking to the people who are unsheltered I on guess, the streets. I guess what they would say is, well, Portland Street Response is a government-funded arm, and then CHAT, the, which I just learned existed this year. Um, I was this years old when I learned that CHAT exists like community health treatment that's apparently also a governmental arm and i guess they would say they're not nonprofits. they're both governmental arms that directly interface with they will argue that they do interface with homeless people and i did i was at an event a few weeks ago and commissioner gonzalez said portland street response is now actually helping people get to those services so they pick them up and they actually take them to the services and they're more engaged so that is shifting. So that, but that just happened a few months ago. Because Although that's there's no like separate tax, as far as I know, to pay for street response. That's just like part of the fire budget. So where is the homeless? I mean, you ran for Metro. Mm-hmm. Where is that home? And I asked Terry this, and she said, that's my problem. I can't tell you where the homeless tax money is going. That's why I'm running for Metro. Mm-hmm. Why did you run for Metro? And can you tell me where the homeless tax money is going? No, I mean, well, again, thank you, Nigel, for your reporting. Uh, Apparently, Washington County, Clackamas County spent 100% of their budget. Multnomah County only spent half of their budget. So is there money sitting in a bank Mm -hmm. somewhere? It's sitting there. Do we know this, or is it gone? 
Do we know what's sitting? Oh, it's in a accruing. Bank? It, they didn't spend it. It was allocated, and they haven't spent it, so it'll roll over why, presumably. Why haven't we spent it? Uh, it wasn't clear I mean, in I don't the know article. That I want them to spend it. But. It wasn't clear in the f- staffing was what I gathered from the article. So to that point where, you know, and this is what, you know, an uh, argument for Metro could be, the service of a regional government, there, you hold up that mirror. Washington County did it. Clackamas County did it. What's going on, Multnomah County? Here's again, the results. Here's, let's learn from each other as a region, right? Let's learn. Let's get better. This isn't about just being negative. We want to solve this problem. We want to solve this. And so why is Metro looking to Multnomah County? Like you said, they could be very powerful in all this. And couldn't they just take the reins and do this? Why, do, why are well, they looking? Well, it's a balance. We don't want Metro doing, you know what I mean? We don't need another well, entity doing want, homeless services. But you no, can look at the data. You can look at the I data. I don't see anybody doing, quote, unquote, homeless services. No. no. I see Kevin doing. Right, if right. Renee says they're doing it, I know him personally and I trust him and I, they're doing it. Okay, Portland Street Response is doing it. But I don't see any, I, don't, I haven't seen him doing it. I'll say that. But, it, you know, I trust him. But, you know, the only person I really see doing anything is Kevin Dahlgren, who lives on a poverty wage. Mm-hmm. So I don't, I mean, he's not getting paid to do all this outreach that he's doing. That's stuff he does on his own time outside of the city of Gresham. Those are the videos he posts on Twitter, that's just Kevin working with homeless people. Right. So I, uh, I, I would like to see some service funded mm-hmm. somewhere at some level. I don't, I mean, you're right. I don't, we need people out doing the work right we can't just fund an organization that's the frustration and i agree with you know and we're doing there's more analysis how many shelter beds do we have what i would say is if you had people out there talking building relationships helping people getting services you would know from those people what's missing in the ecosystem yeah just talk just get out there get out there and start talking to people. Don't do an analysis of shelter beds. Let the people who right. are trying to get into the shelter beds tell you, we need this type of shelter bed. We need this. We need this. Right? But start getting out there. I guess Mayor Wheeler would say they told me that, and that's why I'm doing a sanctioned camp. Right? I mean, he would say they, they, they don't I offer shelter. They don't want it. Every time we remove a camp, we offer shelter. Nobody takes it. So we're doing sanctioned camps. I guess that's what he'd say. And we're spending more. We're spending more money on that, too. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's going to cost what we signed a contract with Urban Alchemy just for their contract, five point one million dollars. That's just for them. Doesn't yeah. count the land. Doesn't count anything else. The social workers, the meals, the yeah. And I would defer to Kevin. You know, I'd love to hear Kevin's thoughts. On that. Well, but. Kevin has seen Urban Alchemy at work in San Francisco, and. Michael Schellenberger did some great reporting out of San Francisco, one of their encampments, their city-sanctioned sites, the Urban Alchemy runs. They found a stillborn baby in a porta potty So I think the consensus is sort of, it's not going well. I think the word Michael used to describe it was Orwellian. Hmm. And this is the same company that we've contracted with. So tell me, tell me more. I know you came here to talk about some other things. So, you know, I guess in closure on this, what I want us to do, and I, again, back to I know this is overwhelming. We're exhausted. There's so much. Vote no in May on capital gains. Okay, that's my message. <laughs> Please. Oh, I tell people that all the time. Vote no yeah. in May. You know, and another thing I would like to see <laughs> is an idea petitioning Multnomah County. So the, the preschool for all tax right now, 
based on what was voted in, it's supposed to increase another 0.8% in 2026. I would love the commissioners to say, you know what, we're going to pump the brakes moratorium until we can show you by looking at the federal funding, the state funding, and the county funding, what we're delivering and where that gap is and why we need to increase it another 0.8%. Well, that I'm sure we, Sharon would say that. Yeah. I, I, I think Lori might. And then I, I, the issue is really with the chair, is it not, that holds all the power, and that's what we learned from the Sharon right. Myron episode of this podcast, the chair holds all the power, so the chair's going to decide what happens with that or not. And then I think, don't we need to request this from the chair mm -hmm. via testimony? Right. Yep. So we could do that. We could talk to the um, allies at Portland Party. Right. Uh, and sign. They will show you how to sign up for testimony at the county level. And if, you know, let the county explain why, you know, we just, if you can't explain why you need the money, should you be getting it? And, uh, you know, Julia Brim Edwards is running um, for the vacated. She's coming on. Good. Yeah, she's coming on this show. Yeah. I mean, Julia led the initiative against that metro income tax um, for transportation funding and was successful. I did not know that. Yes. Wow, okay. That's well, when she was at Nike. So Metro okay. was going to adopt the transportation. It was going to be a payroll tax, right, on businesses. No sunset, right, and it excluded all government agencies from the tax. And um, she led the initiative against that. So that failed. That, I mean, our tax rate would be even higher. We'd be, we would be even higher. The, the impact on businesses would be even higher. So we did turn one down. I think we've turned down two other ones. That one I do know. So the, those would be my two call, immediate call for actions for all of you. I think my other, you know, what I'd like you to take away from this is understand the need for business, right? We It's easy to rail on big business, Intel, Nike. Corporate greed. Corporate greed. Those are jobs. That's that's your neighbor's job, right? That's your neighbor's retirement fund. That's your neighbor's health care, right? It's not just big business. Those jobs are critical for all of us living in this region. And I think we, we conflate greed with corporations. There's a lot of corporations doing good work. Greed is a different issue. Won't right? they argue, though, that those same corporations are exploiting their workers and should go away like when everybody applauded the Walmart closures. I mean, not everybody, but certainly there was a group out there applauding the Walmart closures saying, well, Walmart exploits its workers and they should be, I, it's almost like they're deciding for them. Like those workers right. should be forced to go work for a union organization mm -hmm. is the idea. Like they should go work at Burgerville, which has a union, or they should go work at New Seasons, or I think is the argument. And again, then, do you, were you, so many of those people, were you shopping at Walmart? Were you enjoying those lower costs? Were you enjoying those, you know, were you enjoying? Right. I mean, the poor people can say goodbye to their flat screens if they want to buy something at, 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 for low cost in the city of Portland. I mean, everybody was saying, well, it's not a food desert over there because there's still Winco. Okay, well, Winco doesn't sell flat screens or dog beds and school supplies. You know, I mean, mm -hmm. Winco sells groceries. groceries. Yeah, I mean, okay, so so it's a little, it's not 
a total food desert because there's a Winco is the argument. I mean, okay, okay. So there's one other discount grocery store. I still don't think that's a great argument for why it's not a food desert now that Walmart is gone. But then the other thing is it does they're not selling all the other things that I think poor people were buying and using to enjoy their lives more like all of a sudden everybody can afford a flat screen. Why? Because they're all made in China and Walmart sells them for cheap. I mean, if you want to pay all your workers a billion dollars an hour, poor people don't get their flat screens anymore. I mean, mm-hmm. there is a trade-off. Mm-hmm. Then we go back to the pre-Clinton days where, remember those days? I mean, anybody, my vintage, you don't look like you're my vintage, but anybody my vintage, in Christmas time, you got a few gifts. You didn't right. get 10,000 right. things like my kids get every Christmas because it all costs three cents from China. You you got like three or four gifts. They were very expensive. Many were made within this country, and everybody was paid a fair amount to make them. Right. And so that's the There figure. are trade-offs. There's trade-offs. And I think the other thing, I'm not here to advocate free market, let business do whatever. There's some bad, we've seen some bad, I mean, look at the Cleveland Cuyahoga River catching on fire because companies were just dumping. Of course, of course, of We course. need, and that's the balance. You need corporate regulation. You do. And so, let, but do your job. I mean, I would argue, too, that we have backed off on doing that. And when we want to get to a vision, again, back to Metro, like going back, looking at it from an urban planning perspective, back in the late 1990s, 2000, we were requiring a 25-foot buffer on streams, right? That I think most of us here in Oregon would appreciate preserving our natural amenities. I mean, you can think of Beaverton. There's a yeah, um, there's a balance. burger there's a burgerville like perched over a creek bed we would never do that anymore but that is that balance between government regulation right? well that's what people say about houston right because there's the new york times article that says houston built a bunch of housing for their homeless and i think mm-hmm. by that they were referring to frank frankly i think by that they were referring to a lot of people not necessarily like splayed out on the streets but in we've got different categories of homeless mm-hmm. right so right. there's a huge category most in fact, my understanding is most people who are homeless are people that we don't see that we do a pretty good job with that are in shelters or that are on programs or what 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 have you. Houston's building all these apartments, housing people. We are not do we're I my understanding is we are not doing that fast enough. And one of the arguments is urban growth boundary, but then on the other hand, Houston is overbuilt. Houston has mm-hmm. destroyed their environment. Right. So we do we really need a balance with that. I mean, how do we what, what Do you have any understanding of what the balance is with that? Because I know Kotec yeah. is even saying, let's expand the boundary, let's build. And then how what are, how are the environmentalists responding to that? You know, and I, again, at my heart, I'm a planner. So I, and I came here because we have an urban growth boundary. I grew up in Kansas City in the Midwest. I watch sprawl. I watch, you know, we do not need that. Especially now when we're talking about climate change, losing water. Are you kidding me? Why would we keep sprawling, more pavement, so forth? Anyway. So what I would argue that we used to do a great job here in the city of Portland, you know, you could build as high as you want, build as much as you want. We were all about density, build, 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 which is great, which is a great premise, which is the whole problem we had. But then we came in with inclusionary housing restrictions, controlling what you can build, how much those apartments would be and not understanding the fundamentals. If a developer doesn't make enough money on rent, they can't build the project. And, and you they, don't and get won't. the units. No. More importantly, they won't. So people they would won't. say, well, poor them. But but Why? what you don't understand is they won't build the project, and then your people don't get housing. Why? Why would you do something that makes you lose money? And it's incredibly risky. It's incredibly challenging. You go build a building then. 
if you say poor them, you go try building a building. It is a very intense, complex, risky, stressful endeavor. So we need to work with the private sector and listen to them when they say it doesn't work. We need to respect that. It's changing. I'm hearing that um, the planning department, it's shifting. They understand the other issue that's coming out from a lot of policymakers. It's called supply skepticism. They don't believe if you build, simply build more units, you'll at least hold, they don't understand the concept of supply and demand, right? If you have more supply, your costs at least steady or go down. It's fundamental, right, in the economic concept. That is not believed by a lot of the policymakers. They think if you bring in more market rate units, you're going to drive up all the costs. Not run, not thinking about if you didn't build those units, it's going to go even higher, right? So I think we're starting to realize. I'm hearing positive signs from the city that they're realizing. Okay, maybe this isn't working. Maybe the private sector's right. We have to just build more units. Isn't there a difference too between just quote unquote building units? Because I've talked to a lot of contractors, they won't go on the record, but they're just out there developing within the city and they're doing a lot less. And in fact, most of them have plans to go to, to leave, um, which is part of why they don't want to talk um, because they're still, they still have projects throughout the city and they want to finish those. But they're saying, unless they get these government contracts, which they're saying are a total boondoggle, total boondoggle, unless they get these government contracts, they're, they, it's, too cost, it's too cost prohibitive to build. Yeah, because the, there's too many restrictions. Yeah. Well, from the permitting, well, I, and I don't know about the in and outs of what they're saying in terms of those restrictions, but the permitting process to get them built is really oh. um, onerous here. Totally. Right. And then you layered on construction costs. Those are starting to come down, land costs, and it was just not feasible. But if you're it. building for the government, baby. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Ooh. They have that. Oh, yeah. They're, oh, they're, I wow. Mean, I mean, seen if you see what Jacob Peterson's spending on some yeah. of those apartment buildings. Right. right. Yeah. I mean, it's it's incredible yeah. the, yeah. the amount of money per square foot yeah. we're spending on those things. Right. And so I would say to the housing issue, you know, where I am in terms of Governor Kotek saying we need 36,000 units a year. Let's say 20,000 in the region. Right. Because we we don't need any more plans. We don't need to talk about it. What I would challenge is show me. And this is Metro's responsibility. I would argue this is why we have Metro. Where literally are we going to put those units? Just show me in the region within the growth boundary. Where can we put those units? And then who's going to build them? If you can answer those two questions, that's a significant implementation plan. And you're going to answer a lot of questions. Is anybody asking these questions? I'm working with some people <laughs> and we're starting to ask these questions. And it, Is it an or, Do you have an organization or mm, no? No, no. But you can, it's its math. We don't need more words. We don't need more plans. Literally show me where you're going to put these units. If people want to reach out to you, how do they find you? Because you've got, I know some of our listeners voted for you for Metro. And it, one of the questions was, are you going to run for something again? And then if they want to support you, how do they support you? Or if re they want to at least support your messaging. Um, you can find me on LinkedIn. My last name is spelled P-Y-S-Z-K-A, and that's Alyssa, A-L-I-S-A. That would probably be the best way to reach me. Um, am I going to run again? I'm, like we were talking about, I've gotten past saying hell no, so um, I'm open to thinking about it further. Um, you know, for me, this was about, I in my practice, all that I do, I am about solutions, which is not always political angle 
right? I'm not a politician. People like to say I'm not a politician, but I'm not doing, I didn't go through the, okay, let's do the school board. Let's, you know, let's go through the hoops. I saw this is a problem in the region. We need to solve. That's my motivation. Um, Yeah, you went straight for Metro president. Yeah. I mean, that's, I mean, most people are like, what are you doing? Oh, that was awesome. Yeah. Um, but that's also my skill set. I mean, it's urban planning, economic. I mean, that's where I, you know, it's not the state, it's not the county, not the city necessarily. So that's real. And I moved, I mean, I was a geek and I moved here in 96. I would go to Metro council meetings, right. And sit there and watch them and think they were amazing. So that's always been where I saw myself, um, from a government standpoint. And I just saw, you know, all these issues we've talked about the city and Metro has not realized its power as a regional organization. I mean, economies function on a regional level, transportation systems, natural systems. We used to have a vision. We used to know where we were going. And I think that's a big problem of where we're missing. You know, we could look at example, climate change. It's much more powerful to say we want a walkable, bikeable environment with trees. People have all different types of housing types. That's what we always talked about. Now what we talk about is cap and trade on businesses and capping greenhouse gas emissions, which is so abstract and negative. And is I mean, we're both though both of those address climate change, but we're not talking about that vision of where do we want to go as a region? Who do we want to be? And I think what I discovered, the one fundamental thing that brings all people together, left, right. Republicans, Democrats, is our love for the environment. We love, and I do, like I get thinking about how gorgeous Oregon is. And I think that is what really unites us. And we've lost that. When I moved here, we were always talking about, like, I was like, where is, what is this place? They're constantly talking about how the health of the salmon in the streams. We, I never hear that reporting anymore. Right? Like. Well, we're too busy picking up garbage to look at. Well, and that's an environment. And so. It's all tumbling into the river. Yeah. I know. So we've lost, I feel like that fundamental, like what loves and why we love it here and what motivates us. And if we could, you can achieve the end goal in different directions. I mean, we've got homeless camps in these I watersheds. Know. I know. We, we, Smith and Bybee filled with, mm-hmm. with homeless people. Mm-hmm. All of all of the natural areas filled with feces, covered with garbage. I, th- I think we've just, we, we've decided to pick a lane and the lane is homelessness we've also decided to choose perfection over progress right and i think we we want them all housed in a 3500 square foot home in in laurelhurst and perfection is a way to not make any choice and to not take any action well that would upset that person that would upset that person we can't do it they don't want that that's the other thing they don't want they don't want a small apartment they don't want a shelter right yeah so I think those are, and we used to make tough choices, right? When Metro used to say, you got to put a 25 buffer. Yeah, people were mad. Developers were mad, but they changed their poor forma. They knew what they were dealing with. Or you with. have to build a tree. Or you so have you to put in know. a tree or you can't cut down a tree. Or you know what? We're going to put a maximum amount of parking so you can't pave this whole area with useless parking lots. I mean, when I was, that was like controversial, right? Now we're like, well, duh, why would you do that? So but Metro gave up that power. They said, we're going to let the local cities tell us what they want to do. They're not passing any more community-wide regulations. Yeah, people are going to be pissed, but let's look at the vision. What are we trying to accomplish? I'd argue that their power is being played out in a different way and that they're, what Terry Prigsby explained to me when she came on, she was running for Duncan Wong's spot on Metro, 
and Nigel Jacques did a did a piece on this in Willamette Week. I think Metro is using, and they've got hundreds of millions of dollars, is my understanding, that's going to nonprofits throughout the metro, mostly affinity nonprofits throughout the metro region. Some of these people are on Metro, including Duncan, who has a nonprofit called Apano, and he says he sits out of the the votes for for money that goes to Apano. But Terry's point was sort of like. Look, you shouldn't work for a nonprofit and sit on a government entity that's funding that nonprofit. Correct. Which I don't think is that crazy. Yeah. But, but I think that's where their power lies. Yeah. To the extent they have power. Right. Or decide to exercise it. I mean, I think a, a lot. Of I, I know a lot of our local, a lot of across the board, the county is doing it, the city is doing it, Metro is doing it, is funding the nonprofits that are in turn then endorsing measures or candidates. Right. So, yeah, I mean, that's what is going on. And, I, you know, when I explain that to people, they're shocked. Um, but that's the reality. Okay, what do you, I know you got to go. Um, anything you want to say before we wrap up here? No, just thank you for all of you listening. Um, these are important issues, so I appreciate that. And thank you, Kristen, for this podcast. Well, thank you, Alyssa, for coming in. I voted for you. I want you to run again. And I really appreciate your time. And, you know, you're a busy lady, so I appreciate your intellect and your nuanced discussion here today. Thank you so much.